Let's pray together, church. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves before your word. We humble ourselves before your spirit who is in us and working in and through us. Lord, we ask for you to speak through your word by your spirit today. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sang a couple of songs this morning. The first hymn, I don't know if you've never heard it, about building a house. The second song we sang was uh, the old anxiety song that talked about if we build a house unless it's built by the Lord, it will fail. Building a house, building a family is something that God has given to us. This morning we put a special recognition on the mothers. The invaluable role of motherhood that God has given to so many of you to care and nurture in ways that fathers generally can't and or don't do. Sacrifice. Mothers, what you give to families make our families stronger. They make our families better. Because you are willing to give of yourselves. Last night I asked my family, what, what is something that your mother has done recently that you have felt blessed by? Titus spoke up immediately. like It, it didn't even take a moment. And he said, I had one lesson of math to finish, but my friends, they could, they could play for 20 minutes and then they were leaving and going away. And, and mom said I could go play for 20 minutes and then come back and finish my math. That was a grace that mom gave. Uh, another one was Ash loves to read books. And just this week I saw... Allison go into the closet and, and Ash has finished all his schoolwork for the year. So he wanted a book he could read and she went and got the book of the favorite family books. We get lamplighter books and brought them down, and laid them all out on the table with him and said, all right, Ash, which one do you want to read? And he picked out his book. For years, Allison's mother came to our house every Tuesday night so that we could take our kids out and do some shopping, build relationships. I, I go on and on and on of how mothers sacrifice. Yesterday, my mom brought over a big box of one of our favorite things. What were they, Hannah? Where are you? Yeah, our favorite cookies. Mothers are, are invaluable in families today. But I want us to think further than the cookie that goes in our stomach. I want us to think further than that. To what do we do when, when we are blessed in a way that is beyond measure? How do you respond when... When the blessing comes upon you from mom who sacrifices. 
What, what do you do with that? And as you think about that question, I'd like for us to turn to the scripture to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So keep that in mind. What am I doing with the blessing and the sacrifice that mom has given to me? Mom, we are grateful for you. But being grateful is not enough, I will argue this morning. Merely being grateful is not enough. 2 Samuel 7. We're going to talk about God's grace to David and his house this morning, okay? God's grace. Uh, and, and to do that, I want to introduce a definition to you that I think is important, that I want you to think through, and, and a working definition as we walk through our scripture today. And that is for the word grace. All right, so this is the foundation. This is the setup. How do you define grace? What is grace? Now, I have, uh, again, we've, we've talked about this uh, in another Bible study group I'm involved in on Tuesday mornings with some men. Um, our family's talked about this, and, and if I ask Nate, Nate's going to tell me grace is it's an acronym, G-R-A-C-E. And you may remember this one. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is the fullness of what the gospel is to us. That, that God is giving us the riches of his kingdom by sending his son, Jesus Christ, Messiah, to die on the cross for our sin. That's pretty good, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Now, if you want to simplify that down a little bit, if you ask Ash, Ash is going to give you a two-word definition. And that definition is what, Ash? Holler that real loud. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That is favor that is received but is not earned. And when you think about the gospel, that's exactly right. I didn't do anything to earn what Jesus Christ did for me. It's not because I'm a good guy that Jesus died. In fact, it's because I'm a, I'm a bad guy that Jesus died. To save me from my sin. So it's the exact opposite. It's unmerited favor that's placed upon us for no reason. But God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. What happened? Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. You know it. Grace is unmerited favor that is poured out for no reason other than the nature of the one giving the favor. Are we good with that? Ultimately, it is expressed most clearly God's riches at Christ's expense. So both are very good. All right. With that working definition, also, the New King James Study Bible, which I love and recommend. It says this about grace. This term refers to God's inexplicable unexplainable, inexplicable giving of good things, parentheses, especially salvation. The giving of good things to undeserving people who could never earn it. Are you there with me, y'all? Stephen's there. Who could never earn it, but God has given us riches of his kingdom and his grace. And y'all, look, we're going to jump into 2 Samuel 7. This melts me in the sense of, I, I'm just blown away. 
I don't know how to respond to a God who would give his son that he loves dearly for a sinner such as me. I don't, I don't deserve that. Why? And it draws me to worship Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's what grace, that's where grace brings us. I'm not just appreciative of Jesus dying. I am bound to give him my best. Second Samuel chapter 7. Are y'all with me, church? Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I, I dwell in a house of cedar, a nice house, but the ark of God, it's in a tent. So Nathan said to the king, Nathan the prophet, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, you want to build God a house? Go and build him a house. That sounds good. And, and so David is seeing where he lives. And he's seen the grace of God over and over and over through his life. We've looked at the stories with Saul. We've looked at the story of how God has richly protected him, even though he's been running for his life. We've looked at the blessings that God has given him in battle over his enemies. And he says, I love God. I want to do something about it. I live in a house. God's presence is in a tent. That's not right. I'm going to do something about it. I want the best for God. I'm going to do something about it. That sounds a lot like the definition for what? For love, doesn't it? Wanting the best for someone, doing something about it. So let me give you in Psalm 132. You got your Bible turned, it'll be on the screen. Psalm 132 gives the poetic form of this expression that David has. I love God. I want to build him a house. Here's Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Isn't that beautiful and poetic form? His heart was, I, I'm not going to do anything until I find a place to honor God properly. You can read the rest of the psalm. It's in line with everything. Verse 4 back in 2 Samuel. But that same night, David says, hey, Nathan, I want to build a house for God. Nathan says, go do it. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Whom I commanded to shepherd my people in Israel, saying, Hey, why do you 
Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Have I complained about not having a house? In other words, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so they that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Did you hear that? David wants to build God a house. And what does the Lord say? No, no, no. I'm the builder. And I'm going to build you a house. I am the Lord. This is incredible. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of man. But my hesed, my unfailing, steadfast love will not depart from him. For I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Oh, the irony. Now, here's what we have. We have that that there is a a heart. uh, David has a heart after God, or he is a man after God's own heart, right? We remember that descriptive of David. In his heart, he says, I want to bless God. I want to build him a house. But the Lord says, oh, I appreciate that. But that's not happening. My father-in-law, if you try to buy the meal, if you got to eat on Father's Day. And you try to pay for the bill, bill. Not happening. Not happening. Put it away. Not ha- violently. It's not happening. The Lord says, you're not going to build a house for me. I have other plans. I am going to build something for you. This great, massive wave of blessing that God has chosen to place upon someone who hasn't done everything right. Let's just put it that way. This is God's grace. But, but it doesn't stop merely with David. Craig, I know I'm a little bit out, but there's a graphic that we've shown just about every week 
what we're seeing here is God is, is, is wagging the finger and saying, look, it's, this is not about what you're going to do for me, David. Let's get it straight. This is about what I'm doing for all of my people. This is about who I am and the plan that I'm working. Oh, and, and that son that you're going to have way down the line. This is about a bigger picture. And so this is what we've studied all year. Creation fall. God made all things. They rebelled against him and thought they could do it on their own with their own rules and have their own authority. But God, the Lord Yahweh, God in heaven has decided that he is going to redeem those who have fallen and then draw them into the kingdom, his kingdom for all eternity. But that requires that requires something. And that requires redemption. That requires that the Lord bring salvation and a payment for that fall phase. And, and this is where God says, no, I've got bigger plans than you building me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And from that house, there will come a great redeemer. So as we think about this, we remember Genesis chapter 3. When it was prophesied that the serpent crusher was coming, he would stomp the head of the serpent while bruising his heel. We remember in Genesis chapter 49, when, when Jacob is blessing his children and he blesses Judah and he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, meaning there's going to come a king from Judah. You will rule Judah, tribe of Judah, son of Judah and your offspring. And look at this word. Let me just give you a quick rundown here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. He's presented in ruling mode until Shiloh comes. And in Hebrew, that word Shiloh means until it comes to him who it belongs. And you're, you can look through translations. This is one of those words that it's got deep roots and deep meaning. But the point is this, I'm sending someone who's going to really hold the scepter and really hold it right. And so we're watching these clues that the Lord is giving us, these prophecies that are telling us a greater ruler is going to come. And here's the Lord saying, David, David, step back a little bit. I've got bigger plans to send the greater king through you. Pastor Stephen read Psalm 89 this morning. Hear this psalm and just rejoice in it from Ethan the Ezraites. Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, has said, will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. And you have said, God, I have made a, help me out church, a what? A covenant with my chosen one. I've made a promise. I have sworn to who, church? To David, my servant. I will establish your offspring, your seed forever. And build your throne for all generations. Do you see it? That's that top phase of our picture. That's kingdom. God is drawing out his people for his kingdom. That's great. Some people see this chapter, and as Allison and I were discussing this week, some people see this chapter as 
one of the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament. Now, you can take it for what it's worth. This is the Lord saying, my seed is coming. It's coming through you. I will establish salvation as the son of David. And we're going to watch that play out. Of course, Solomon comes as his son, builds the temple as this kind of near fulfillment of the prophecy. His son will come. He'll build the temple. And that will be great. But the real fulfillment that that lasts more than 100 years is coming. All right. Y'all still with me? All right. We're going to jump to the New Testament in a minute. Y'all okay with that? All right. Watch what's going to happen. This promise, this covenant that we just read from Psalm 89, the covenant that was given was that, that he would establish God's or David's seed forever and build a throne for all generations. I want y'all to watch this because when the New Testament writers are writing, this is exactly what they see in this man named Jesus. Watch this. Y'all with me? Say me amen. All right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It all starts right here. Watch this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Help me out, church. The son of... You see it? When New Testament people are there, and when the apostles are writing, they're looking back at 2 Samuel 7. They realize this is a big deal. And Matthew begins in the very first verse of the New Testament. Oh yeah, Jesus, he's the... He's the son of David. He's the one to to fulfill this. Uh, You'll see why this matters. Bear with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. The angels come. The first interaction angels have had in a long time with people. They come, they talk to Mary and to Joseph both. And watch what the angels say. They're being very clear. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Unmerited favor, I might add. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name. Help me out. Jesus, which means salvation. And he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him. Oh, watch this. Then the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. It's right there. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be what? (laughs) There it is. You remember that picture we looked at? Doesn't stop. Angel said to her, so that's Mary. Luke is always sensitive to the ladies. So he's got what Mary said to her. Matthew, he's got Joseph's dream. Let's see what the angel says to Joseph. Here we go. Joseph, son of David. Joseph what? Son of David. Remember when, when, when Joseph went to be registered? Which, which, where did he go? He went to Bethlehem, which was the city of, the city of, oh, it's the city of David. You're right. It was. How, how convenient. All right. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord God had spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Joseph was called the son of David for a reason. To remind the us that Jesus Christ is fulfilling this role of the son of David. Let me continue. In Matthew 22, the, Jesus is surrounded by the teachers and they're trying to, to incriminate Jesus. And Jesus asked them this question. He says in verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, help me out, church. What what do you think about Messiah when he comes? Jesus is speaking in like third person. This Messiah guy when he comes, whose son is he going to be? And what do they say? Oh, yeah, he's the son of David. (laughs) I love that. Jesus is like, oh, who, who am I again? And they tell him exactly the right answer. He got his enemies to pronounce who he is. Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men came to him. It's not just the teachers that know. It's not just the apostles that know this theology. Guess who else it is? It's the blind beggars. Multiple times. I'm going to give you one of them. Blind men followed him saying, have mercy on us, son of David. I'm going to tell you what this all means. Bear with me. When he entered about the house, the blind man came to him. Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? In other words, do you believe that I am the son of God? And they said, yes, Lord. Touch their eyes according to your faith. May it be done. Their eyes were open. Son of David. Do you really believe I'm the son of David? We believe. These blind men called him a specific name. One more. I got two more. Matthew 12. A demon-possessed, oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that all the man, so that the man spoke and saw. And the people were amazed and said, help me out, church. Can this be the son of David? Now, I'm going to follow this one a little bit further because I want you all to kind of get where we're going. Can this be the what? The son of David. Now, Jesus brings back to, to this context. There's a demon-oppressed man. Jesus heals him, has authority over him, has authority over the powers of evil. And what's their response again? Can this be the son of David? Can this be Messiah? Can this be the one with powers over the evil world? Can this really be? But when the Pharisees heard it, what do they say? Oh, it's only by the powers of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. He's not really the son of David. He's a demon. This guy's not the son of David. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom is divided and against itself is laid waste. And if a, uh, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How will this kingdom stand? And if I, watch it. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Oh, I'm a demon? How about you guys? Because you guys are, are saying you do the same thing. Are you doing it by the power of demons too? Therefore, 
They will be your judges. But here it is. Hear this right here. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then help me out. Then what? The kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is, uses his words very carefully. Son of David. Could this be the son of David? Jesus responds by saying, the kingdom has come. Could this be the son of David? The kingdom has come. Days before Jesus would die, there were crowds gathered. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Crowds went on, followed him, and they were shouting. Do you remember what they were shouting? This is verse 9 of the next one, correct? What were they shouting when Jesus was walking into town? Hosanna! Hosanna, which means save us. Oh, save us. That's Hosanna, literally. Save us. Hosanna to thee. I got it. Why do we do all this? Why are we talking about all this? All right, let's put some of these pieces together. David was shown great grace. Let's go back to David for a moment. David was shown great grace by the God in heaven. God said, David, you want to build me a house that lasts for some years? I'm going to build a kingdom that's going to last for eternity. And David is, is broken. David is David is, is on his face. In fact, if you continue to read the scripture, you see David's prayer of gratitude. He says this, who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have blessed me and given me this. It, this is such an amazing thing. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. It's not even going to end. Go down to verse 22. Let me read verse 20. I'm just going to read for you all of it. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, unmerited, your own heart, you have brought about all of this greatness to make known your servants, to make known to your servant. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David is blown away. David knows who he is in God's eyes. David knows his failures. And yet God has chosen To place upon him and put in his family the great grace of the greater son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. David knows what this means. And he is broken. When we receive great grace, I made a statement earlier that it's not enough to just merely be thankful. Now, 100%, 
we need to be thankful. Amen? Amen. Amen. But it's not enough just to feel or think gratitude. Is it? I'm going to read to you a story. I'm running out of time, y'all. But this is, this is the, the punchline right here. David knew it wasn't enough to just be thankful. Look what David does just two chapters or chapter later in chapter 9. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said to him, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba says to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to him, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir to uh, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. And Mephibosheth, can y'all all say that one? Mephibosheth. The son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. I love that. The son of Saul. And y'all know what happened when a new king would take over, right? What did they do? They wiped out the, the line. Of the old kings. So David says, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all of the land of Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a, for a what? For a dead dog such as I. Now, if you were here with us Thursday, we talked about this theme, um, the, the word dead dog. David uses that exact word when he's talking to Saul and saying, why are you chasing me? I'm just a dead dog. I'm just a worthless animal. I'm nothing. And Mephibosheth, I can see David's ears perking up. And he says, this guy's like me. He's a humble guy. Why would you do this for such a, a dead dog as I? Verse 9, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all of his house I've given to your master's grandson, to Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall, uh, shall till, the, till the land for him and shall bring him the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, he shall always eat. Where? At my table. David received great grace from God. 
My kingdom will be established with you. And 1100 years later, when he shows up, everybody in the city is going to say, son of David, son of David. And your name is going to live forever, David, because I'm going to establish it. And David says, the great kindness you have shown to me is the great kindness I'm going to show to another. I, I, just, I just love this. A cripple. Someone who is not able to contribute to this society and this culture. Someone who has to be cared for constantly is brought to the king's table. A dead dog brought to the king's table. Transformation. From the the dregs of society to the king's table. Praise the Lord. Eleven hundred years BC, David. Zero BC, son of David. Twenty twenty three. If you're here this morning, you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells us that you also are sons of God. God's grace was given to David. He blessed Mephibosheth. God's grace was active In Jesus Christ the Lord. He gave his life at the cross. For you and for me. Today. You and I sit in First Baptist Church of Plaquemine. God's grace has been extended to you deeply. All of your sins have been covered. By the grace of And the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Christian, do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe it's all washed away? Merely being grateful is not enough. The Lord deserves our great effort in worship. The Lord deserves our great effort in service. The Lord is worthy and due our great effort. And whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of our God. So Christian, where are you today? I ate cookies yesterday and I told my mom thank you. I felt it necessary even to just say thank you. My mom asked me to help move some stuff in her backyard this week. Of course. You're my mom. I love you. Whatever you need. It's only right. Christian. God has called you out 
to live for Him and for His glory. What is your response? Will you give yourself to service in the local church? Will you give yourself to service in the universal church? Will you give yourself with effort, with sacrifice to the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. May our response be authentic. May it be genuine. May it be passionate. And God, call us to do the work that you have appointed for us to do. Stir us, O God. On this Mother's Day 2023, stir us to live as your sons and your daughters, bringing glory, honor, and renown to the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.